I have the reading this morning. It's Isaiah 55, 1 to 12. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pause for a brief word of prayer. In the quietness, just as, uh, as individuals, let's just ask God to speak to us in some way in these minutes ahead. Faithful God, encourage us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been really good over the last uh, few weeks to be uh, very much looking outward with our various um, service and, and preaching themes during this month of September. So on the first Sunday of the month, um, there's an all-age worship here, and we're thinking a bit about education and schools. And then the following week, we had the focus on, on CAP with, with Rosie, thinking about uh, the Ministry of Christians Against Poverty. And then last week, we went international, with um, Iona sharing about her work with circuit riders, but within that, setting us a very personal challenge to be bold in sharing what we know of God with others around us. Well, we're continuing that outward-looking uh, focus this morning uh, as I reflect a little bit on what God has been teaching me over the summer 
at Hazelmere through the youth camps I've been involved with. Um, as many of you know, every summer I disappear for uh, most of August and the first part of September, and you probably wonder quite what I'm getting up to. Well, I'm not lying on some deserted beach with palm trees and uh, sipping a pina colada or whatever. It's a little bit more strenuous than that. But I was, um, I was sharing uh, one or two stories with a couple of members of the congregation uh, a week or so ago, and they said, you, you, you really must share that of the wider church family. So I needed no second invitation, and I uh, just want to share, if you'll indulge me, some of the things that God has been speaking to me about. Um, but I want to start by picking an argument with Iona from last week, because um, Iona told us last week that she had the best job in the world. And anyone who's been on the leaders team at Hazelmere will know that I keep telling them that I've got the best job in the world. The combination of sharing in a ministry here at Christchurch and leading the ministry of Hazelmere. Hazelmere is part of CPAS Ventures and we run six uh, week-long, or roughly a week-long, youth residential camps every year for teenagers. And the ones during the summer are for 13 to 18-year-olds, and we had nearly 200 young people at Hazelmere this summer. And um, there are three aims with all that we're about. We want to see young people come to a living faith in Christ. So it's about evangelism. It's about sharing the good news of Jesus. It's about discipleship. It's about seeing people grow in their relationship with God and being confident in living for him in the world. And it's about growing leaders, developing leaders who will serve God in the church and in the wider world. This week we've had four weeks and I use that term Hazelmere as an umbrella term, but actually we haven't been to Hazelmere at all. Some of you will, uh, will know that um, just before our middle of June, we suddenly got dropped the bombshell that Hazelmere, which is the site we usually use, the Royal School, wouldn't be available to us. They were having some big refurbishment work done. And so all of a sudden, with these nearly 200 young people booked in, we had nowhere to go. <laughs> And I'll talk a little bit about the way in which God has provided for us. I don't think I've cried so much as I did this summer with the work at Hazelmere. Tears of, tears of pride as our wonderful team of leaders were stepping out in faith in different ways and serving and growing. Tears of joy as young people responded to the good news of Jesus. And tears of faith as God has met needs and shown his generous provision. What a privilege it was to sit alongside a young man of 16, he'd been to the camps a couple times before, as he recommitted his life to Christ. And uh, I had the privilege of sitting and praying with him. But I think more poignant for me was then the following 15 minutes as we just stood next to one another. I think either Joe or his brother were leading worship and we just worshipped our hearts out together in amongst the, the gathered group. What a delight that 40, 4-0 of the 16 to 18-year-olds on the ventures this summer expressed an interest in serving at our younger camp in October half-term. Now, we haven't actually got room for 40, <laughs> 
But it was amazing the way there was this desire to serve. Young people who will go back to their local churches with a heart to serve and grow. On one of my uh, rest Sundays, the two weeks when I, wasn't, um, uh, when I was on holiday, so to speak, um, I went to a church in Biggleswade in Bedfordshire. Now, has anyone ever been to Biggleswade? No? Ah, now we think one person has been to Biggleswade at some point in their life, and even he's not too sure whether he really has been to Biggleswade. I asked the 915 congregation and lots of, lots of shaking heads. I don't think it's the sort of place you go to unless you know someone there or live there. And I went to Biggleswade. It wasn't just a, you know, a random choice on a Sunday off, where shall I go and worship this morning? I know. <laughs> Let's go to Biggleswade. I went to Biggleswade Baptist Church and there were two um, young adults who'd been at the camps during the summer at Hazemere and uh, they were being baptised as adults and they were sharing their testimony and they referenced Hazelmere as part of that testimony and it was a great celebration. But more than that, within the service, the, um, <laughs> the minister foolishly <laughs> uh, or generously allowed all of their young people and leaders who'd been at Hazelmere during the summer to stand up and share. Now there were 17 teenagers and five leaders from that church. So 22 people, one after the other, shared little stories of what God had done in their lives. I tell you, it was a long service. <laughs> but for me, worse, worse than that, we had the 22 all stand up and share bits of testimony and you know, great encouragements, all sorts of things that God had done. And then I had to stand up afterwards and just say something briefly and pray. But I was in bits after hearing these 22 little cameo stories. So I was all choked up as I was trying to say something meaningful and pray for the, uh, the church family there. Plenty of stories to tell. But one is a standout for me and it, it taught me a really important lesson. I, sh I shared it with the, the staff team uh, at our meeting a couple of weeks ago and shared it with one or two last week as well. So, uh, as I mentioned, Hazelmere as a school, they pulled out last minute, so we had nowhere to go with only six to eight weeks uh, to go. Um, Hazelmere is a lovely catered site, everything's very easy for us, we've been there the last 17 years. All of a sudden we had to find some new sites, and God in his graciousness provided us with two sites. So we spent the first two weeks at a place called Dane Hill in Sussex, and the second two weeks at uh, the rather more upmarket um, St. Mary's School in Royal Ascot. And it was very Royal Ascot. <laughs> it was awfully nice. And they, they were fantastic. Brilliant, brilliant site. Really friendly, welcoming uh, staff. Uh, the food was incredible. And uh, it worked really well for us. Um, so we had four weeks. Two weeks Dane Hill, two weeks at Ascot. And... Um, as I went into the summer, I was very aware, as the person with responsibility for the oversight of these camps, that we needed to find somewhere for next year. You know, we'd been at Hazemere 17 years, but we had no sense of where we would be going next year. And I was trying to work through what might be right. I was thinking, well, might Dane Hill be right? Might we be able to go back to Hazelmere? Might, um, might Ascot work out? I mean, it's very expensive, but maybe there's some way of funding it differently. How are we going to do it? 
And on the first day of the first week at Dane Hill, I went for a little walk in the grounds of some extensive sports fields, and I uh, went for a walk in the grounds, and um, I, was, I was praying, I was just getting prepared for the young people to arrive. And I just had a sense as I was walking around that this was the right place for us going forward. It had a real sort of gathering point, a nice terrace where people could sit and chat and where we could have prayer meetings and workshops and all sorts of different things going on. It had lovely sports fields, but really close to the main building. It had a, a sort of little amphitheatre outside where you could have little meetings as well. And various places we hadn't previously discovered. So I had a sense this might be the right place, or this is the right place for us going forward on day one of week one. And I shared that with one or two leaders, and I was, I was praying and just thinking about it. And on the last day of week one, I went to see the bursar. And I thought, I'm going to go and see the bursar. I'm going to tell him we absolutely love his school. Um, we've got, you know, we get on really well with them. It suits us perfectly. Surely they love having us. And, uh, you know, we'd love to be here for many years into the future. And uh, I went to see him, and uh, he sort of burst my bubble, rather, <laughs> because he said, well... That, that's all very well, but we've, we've had this international company who run language and sports schools, and they're offering us £100,000 to um, take the school for the whole of next summer. And I was thinking, £100,000. <laughs> we bring in £35,000 and a bit more in the autumn and winter when we do our other camp, so maybe maximum 50. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> but I also picked up in the conversation that uh, this, this organisation, they hadn't been particularly efficient or communicative. And that they'd cancelled a meeting a few weeks previously and um, that, yeah, they, they, they just weren't on top of their game. So I thought, well, I know, I can be efficient. So I, um, I wrote a letter, I checked it out with our uh, head office, I, I wrote a letter to the um, bursa and the school governors. And I said, basically, you know, we, we've loved being here, great we've got such a good relationship with you, we would love to have a multi-year contract with you going forward. And then I, I gave it to the bursa, and um, I was chatting, and various of us were chatting to other staff members, sort of saying, oh, we love it here, you know, if you have a word, if you can, we'd love to stay. And then I went off to our next two weeks at um, Ascot. And, uh, but I was, all the time, the first few days at Ascot, I was, I was looking at the Ascot site and thinking it's, it's very nice, but it's very expensive and I'm not sure it quite works for us long term. And I was thinking, what more can I do? You know, I've, I've written this letter and I've, you know, I've charmed the staff and I've you know, tried everything I can. What more do I need to do to sort this out and make it work so that by the end of the summer we know where we're going for the next few years? And then halfway through the first week of Ascot, so week three of our summer, I, um, we had a, a, a meeting on a theme of prayer. And someone did a short talk, seven or eight minute talk, and then uh, Jonas, my son, he'd arranged um, all sorts of prayer stations around the site. And uh, sometimes we have prayer stations here. Anita is great at setting up uh, prayer stations that we can actively engage with. And, um, you know, there's things to, things to write and things to do and things to touch and all sorts of things like that. And uh, he'd set up all these prayer stations, done an A1 job, just incredible, really proud of him. And um, one of them was um, a sort of kiddies ball pond, you know, the sorts of things where you get the little, little coloured balls, plastic balls, 
and kids can just sort of jump into them. Well, adults can if they really want to. And uh, what he'd done was he'd, he'd got all these balls, a bit like this, and he'd, he'd written um, a Bible reference on each ball. And uh, the idea was that you just picked a random ball out of this paddling pool or whatever it was, and then you just um, looked up the reference, and then you went away and, and just sat with it and prayed. And I, I was, I must be honest, I was, I was a little bit cynical because I thought there's loads of these verses that he's going to have put in here which are just going to speak to everyone and anyone. So, you know, that I know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Or, um, yeah, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, those sorts of verses. But I, I picked out this little red ball and on it, it said, Exodus 14, 14. I thought... Bible scholar me. Exodus. Something to do with Moses. Mm, somewhere around Passover, maybe, not quite sure. Exodus 14, 14. Anyone know what Exodus 14, 14? Just put your hand up if you do. No? Good, that's encouraging. Um, so I, I went to my Bible and I searched for Exodus. Fortunately, I can find my way to Exodus, so... Um, I knew it was in the Old Testament for a start. And I went to Exodus 14, 14. And remember the story I've just told and my sort of striving to make things happen. And it said this, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's going to appear on the screen. The Lord will fight for you and you need only to be still. And immediately I knew that that was speaking to me about my striving to sort out a site for Hazelmere for the next few years. But here was me trying my utmost to make things happen and that actually what God was saying to me was you can be still now. I'd had to do my bit. I'd had to be proactive. It's part of my job. But I didn't have to solve all the world's problems. I could now just leave it with God. And so I, I felt quite overwhelmed reading that verse and went to our small group time. And I was with, I was leading with Johnny Dobson actually, a small group of 13, 13 and 14 year old lads. And there were seven of them. And about, I think, four of those lads had been particularly spoken to that day by that ball pit pick a verse thing, and something had spoken to them specifically. So that was really encouraging. So I then, I then shared this verse a little bit with one or two leaders. Still a little bit in trepidation, because what if God wasn't quite saying that to me about this and it wasn't going to lead to the outcome I wanted? But I did try and, try and just put things down and just, just trust God. And then it got to the, the last day, the last full day of the final week of our summer. So week four, final day, very tired, ready to come home. But we were having a trustees meeting in the evening. There's a little trust called the Limpsfield Trust, which employs me and others. And um, I knew we were having a meeting in the evening, so I thought I've got to go to that meeting talking some sense about where we're up to. So what I'll do, I'll um, speak to the bursar at Ascot, I'll phone the bursar at Hazelmere, and I'll phone the bursar at um, Danehill. So I, um, I tried phoning Hazelmere, no answer. I arranged a meeting with Ascot for later in the day. 
And then I phoned the, um, I was out on the, one of the sports fields and um, I phoned the bursar at Dane Hill. And he said, um, he picked the phone up straight away, only rung once, and um, he said, oh, you must be a mind reader, I was about to be in touch with you. I've had a chat with all of the, uh, the governors and uh, we've decided that we want you here for the next um, however many years. And we've agreed that we're going to offer you a, a three-year contract. And we'd, you know, we really value what you're doing. So I was jumping up and down, and <laughs> good job no one else was around at the time. Very excited, because I'm quite invested in this thing, as you may have picked up. And then uh, an hour or so later, I had a meeting with the bursar at Ascot, and it was obvious, you know, it worked really well at Ascot, but they weren't going to lower their prices for us, so that wasn't going to work. And then the following morning, the bursar at Hazemere phoned me back and said, actually, we've got more refurbishment work next year, so Hazemere won't be available to you. So it just sort of rounded it off and showed me that, yes, Dane Hill was the right site for us going forward. But in the midst of that, I'd had to learn an important lesson. I'd been striving to try and make it all work, to make it all fit together. And yes, I'd done my bit. I'd honoured God in using my skills to the best of my ability. But there was still a time when I just needed to stop and I just needed to trust God and be still and let him fight for us. I am someone who likes to make things happen. And there's quite a few people like that here this morning or perhaps watching at home. It's easy when you're relatively capable to try and do God's job for him. To believe in some sort of way that, that the success of something depends on you. There's no doubt I did need to be proactive, but ultimately God made it happen. And I just encourage you, if you're facing any circumstances at the moment where you don't have the answers, I'd encourage you to take heed of Exodus 14, 14. I, the Lord, will fight for you. You just need to be still. Hear God's word to you. And I think God might be saying that to us as we wait for the appointment of a new vicar. We've done our bit. We're waiting. We're still waiting. A shortlisting process has taken place in the last few days and there'll be interviews here on the 6th and 7th of October. Let's keep committing that to the Lord. Let's pray. Maybe there are other situations you're mindful of where you just need to be still and trust God. One of the, uh, the passages that, probably one of the first passages that I learned by heart when I went to these camps as a teenager was um, from Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. I believe that God does want to give us good things in his time and his way. And I'm certainly so grateful to him for his provision. And I was reminded of that again in the context of Hazelmere last Saturday. I was at um, St Paul's Hammersmith as we gathered, um, the third slide's going to come up, St Paul's Hammersmith in London as we gathered to celebrate 60 years of the Limpsfield Hazelmere camps. They were set up in 1962. Uh, there's me in the bottom right hand corner 
um, interviewing or giving space at least for the guy who set the camps up, Kenneth Habersham, his wife Mary to his uh, right. He set the camps up in 62. In the top right hand corner you can see uh, Sam Ewins worshipping, <laughs> giving it his all. Joe playing, he was leading in worship. Sam shared a little bit of his testimony, the way in which God had brought him from a non-Christian background, through a friend, through the camps, through the local church youth work here, to a place of faith and service. And then this lady in the bottom left, she's a lady called Pauline Walker, and uh, she was working for many years for um, Church Mission Society, and she served in the country now known as South, South Sudan. But as a young person, she'd attended the Hazelmere Limpsfield camps and uh, it had been really significant in her, her faith journey. And she had learned so much from the way those camps were run, the simple presentation of the gospel through the various meetings, the small groups, the very relational element, the way in which the leaders had time for the young people and worked alongside them. And in that context, she'd felt a call from God to go and serve him on the mission field in Africa. And that led her eventually to South Sudan. And when she got to South Sudan, she was alarmed at some of the things she saw out there and, and the lack of um, relational uh, Bible teaching with young people. So she took the model that she'd experienced at Limpsfield in this country and she set up a whole series of camps with other local people, set up a whole series of camps out there in South Sudan. And uh, through that ministry, many young people have gone on as adults to be leaders in God's world, leaders in business, leaders in government in South Sudan. Leaders in the church, bishops, archbishops. And earlier this year, Pauline was invited to Lambeth Palace, and there she is with Archbishop Justin Welby, where she received uh, some sort of Anglican communion commendation or whatever is on offer. I don't know about these things. But she, um, she got in touch with us after that, and she, she sent us an email myself and a colleague, and she said that she credited all of that and, and her recognition by the Archbishop to the ministry of those camps over the years. And it was great to hear her expressing that last, um, last Saturday. We did have a few um, sort of brochures printed celebrating the sort of 60 years. I've just, we had a few left over, so I've put a few at the back if you want to take one away. Let's be clear, though. None of this is to big up the Hazelmere camps. They only exist to serve the local church, whether week in, week out, faithful youth ministry is taking place, and where we, as the broader congregation of Christchurch, can encourage our young people and support our leaders in what they're doing. All of this is to the glory of God, who in his wisdom uses these camps to draw young people to him, to grow more confident young and adult disciples, and to help develop leaders for service in God's world.
And I just want to say, uh, to finish, just say a thank you uh, to you. I know you put up with me disappearing for several weeks every year, but also for your encouragement and your prayers and your involvement in supporting this ministry. God is good and God is faithful. Amen.